0: My oh yeah, there we go. Um, got this wonderful email a couple of days ago from Doug and Claire, and um, they had heard last week's sermon. We started last week in the book of Nahum, and um, they they were like, "Oh, oh, you, you know." So they sent me these photos, which is amazing. Um, Doug and Claire work for Partners in Thailand, but as part of their um, as part of their portfolio, they also work in Northern Iraq and Syria. And so, Doug, when he heard the sermon, sent me some photos of the tomb of the prophet Nahum in Northern Iraq, which I thought was like, what, that's amazing. Um, Of course, it's not a very safe area to go to, but part of his work is to go there and help rebuild schools, uh, rebuild infrastructure through partners. And so, yeah, he sent me a couple of photos when he was there of the term of the prophet Nahum, which I thought was amazing. Um, now, for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, I need to apologise because there's so much background that you need to know when you confront a book like Nahum. There's a reason why you don't hear sermons from this book. Okay? And there's a reason why I wait till January to preach on it. Because I think, oh, most people are on holidays. I don't have to really. Um, a, friend, a good friend of mine uh, I worked with uh, in the US, he wrote a book on the minor prophets. And in that book, he unpacks you know, the, the easy understandings and, and the validity of, of the minor prophets for us today. It's a great book. He talks on every minor prophet except Nahum. And I've challenged him on that ever since. I'm like, why would you not? He goes, well, because it's really hard. In fact, there are two books that are really, really hard. One, we whitewash. Now, that's the book of Joshua, right? We whitewash it because it's easy um, to just focus on uh, Rahab, the prostitute. It's easy to focus on a prostitute, Yep. Yeah. Um, we, we focus on Jericho, and then we focus on on Joshua's final words, which are really Instagrammable, aren't they? You know, for me and my household, we will follow the Lord. Um, But everything in between is actually really difficult to work through. Think about it. One of the justifications of what's going on in the Ukraine by Russia is to say that the Ukraine's evil and we have a righteous act here to do something about it. Canaan was an independent place That God said to his people, I'm giving it to you. Why? Because the people are evil. It's a difficult topic for us as Christians to kind of talk about that. And many Christians today will use that example to justify their actions, taking it completely out of context. And that's the difficulty when we kind of just focus on some things and let go of the rest. Nahum is very much like that. It's a very difficult book to focus on. It doesn't make for very pleasant reading. But understanding the background, understanding who Nahum is, why his tomb is in northern Iraq and not in Israel, that his parents most probably were sent into exile, ripped away from their land by the Assyrians, and he was most probably born in exile, and now he's writing to the people of Judah, who are all that's left of Israel, and all they've got on their shoulders is this big Assyrian empire that's basically taken away their other 10 tribes of Israel, destroyed their brother's land, and of course now they're living in fear. It's a difficult book. It's difficult because God is scary in it. There's this Aspect of God that many of us as Christians are very just not comfortable with. In fact, when we are confronted with it, we turn immediately to the New Testament and say, Oh, it's Jesus now, it's different. But he is scarily violent in this book. And if you want to take it, I mean, chapter two is all about the battle to destroy Assyria, and chapter three is about, well, it's horrible. Go to Nahum chapter 3, verse 10. It's scarily violent. And you've got to say, where's the love in this? Not only that, but this idea that God is slow to punish people is a double-edged sword. You know, you hear about this, God is slow to anger, or sometimes you wish he was just fast, Right? The Assyrians have been around for a long time. They've been the bad guys for a long, long time. So God, don't be slow to punish them. Hurry up. hundred years ago, you sent Jonah to go talk to these guys. Apparently, they repented, but they're still being bad. Do something about it. So it's frustrating when we read this stuff, And, and, and not only that, I guess from Judah's point of view, from Israel's point of view, why would God afflict Israel with Assyria in the first place? Why would he bring that kind of thing upon them? These are some of just some of the questions that we're faced with in this book. The the difficulty of this book, how do we how do we juggle this? How do we you know, for some of us, how do we rationalize this? But but we don't need to rationalize it. How do we actually drink this in, how does this help us? Yeah, Nahum, right at the very beginning, just starts off, again, just kind of re-emphasizing, the Lord is slow to anger but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. That's encouraging, but you see, you're kind of contradicting yourself. You're really slow about the whole not letting the guilty go unpunished. Can you speed that up a bit? But this is the very nature of God. It's not something we can ignore. It's not something that we can just pull out the Jesus card and cover it. Uh, The whole uh, encounter of Israel with God in, in, in Exodus when they're out in the wilderness, you know, Moses, when he's confronted with God, you know, he says, "'Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him "'and proclaimed his name, the Lord.'" He passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Like when I read that, I I just see contradictions and I struggle with it because if you forgive the wicked and the rebellions and all the sin, then why are you punishing us? It's an interesting question. It's a challenging one. It's really quite important that we understand how important justice is to God. Now, the ancients understood it far better than us today because today our lives are very different. I'm listening to a podcast um, Uh, about, it's called Supernova in the East, Um, and it's Dan Kahn, he's a guy who does hardcore history. And I love his podcast, I listen to him quite frequently, and he's talking about the rise of Japan, you know, right before World War II. And he talks about this interesting aspect about the Japanese culture, that up until the late 19th century, it was a closed culture. Like, people weren't allowed to leave Japan, and people weren't allowed to come into Japan. It had been a closed culture for a long time. And they were just coming out of this closed culture. And so when they went to war, they did some pretty horrific things. That for the 20th century world that they were living in, they were horrified by it. And, and But the Japanese were like, but that's how warfare is done. Yeah, three, four hundred years ago. We've kind of moved on from that, have we? But he talks very interestingly about this fact that, that for, for most of humanity, the way we, we, we confront things is very different to who we are today. So for me to preach to you know, maybe first century Christians, they would understand this. It wouldn't be that difficult for them to see the picture of a justice uh, God who's, you know, This is really important to him. But for us today, this is a bit difficult. Just like it was for the world when they encountered Japan, when they came out of their little, you know, closed doors, acting like people would have acted like three or 400 years ago. But it's fascinating. When you go to the Bible, justice isn't just uh, an arbitrary thing for God. It is actually... Uh, very specific. He doesn't, he doesn't change between people. It starts off with Exodus, right? Exodus 14. You see God and, and, and what he does to the Egyptians. Why? Because they treated the Israelites so badly. They treat them as slaves. What happens to the Egyptians? Or, well, you know, they try to cross the river, uh, the, the, the sea, Red Sea. The sea collapses on them. They're done. Now, whether you think that's a historic story or not, that's a whole other debate. But the fact of the matter is Egypt from that day on was never a superpower again. They were always in decline from that point on. God's justice was meted out upon them. But it wasn't just meted out on the Egyptians. Uh, In 1 Samuel chapter 4, it was meted out on the priests, God's priests, who had treated the people of God badly. So justice fell upon them. But then again, as we've read, like last week, 722 BC, the Assyrians then come up against Israel and justice is poured out upon Israel. And this is right in the midst of the book of Nahum, right? Nahum now is telling Judah, look, you're facing this, the Assyrians are big. And he says this in verse 12, Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from their neck and tear your shackles away. The interesting thing about this verse is God takes responsibility for inflicting Judah. Think about that for a moment. Again, just a lot of questions about what? God afflicted them? His own people? Hmm. Why? And as Nahum had predicted, by 612 BC, Assyria, the mighty Assyria, is gone. Completely and absolutely wiped. All we have you go to the British Museum, are fragments of this once great culture. Gone. And God's judgment, the justice of God, is meted out. But here's the interesting thing. Just a little over 25 years later, guess what happens to Judah? They themselves fall subject to God's justice. And the Babylonians come and wipe Judah out. Take them off into exile to Babylon. When we read this, we're like, oh man, what is going on here? But this is a build-up. It's a build-up because when we think of Jesus, we don't think of justice per se or judgment. We think of a loving Jesus, who came and met us where we're at, who bore our sins and has brought salvation and hope. But we take away the fact that upon him, all the injustices of the world were born on him. And so God's judgment was poured out on Jesus. In Isaiah, he says this, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. And when you read on, just to add a little bit of a cherry on top of all this, Isaiah says this, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. That's pretty intense. But when you think about it, all the injustices that go on around in this world, The power of who Jesus is, is that he takes that all upon himself. It makes you want to think twice when you look at the cross. It makes you want to think twice when you think of what Jesus has done for us. It's the challenge that that what's wrong with everything is made right with who Jesus is for what he has done. What about us today? Does this God of justice still work today? Because, boy, I can think of some things that I wish his slowness to anger might come into play. Like, let's just stop with the slowness, God. Let's just be quick about it. Does he still work the same way today? I would say yes. There's an interesting um, incident in, in John's Gospel where Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and when he saw the city, he wept over it. He said, if even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, the day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. If you read Nahum... Chapter 3, verse 10, the language, very similar. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The destruction of Jerusalem happened in 70 AD. That was after the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's no Old Testament in that. The justice of God still is... Strong. And those of you who know me know how complicated and difficult this is for me because I don't really like to be up front here telling you these tough things sometimes. But every once in a while, it's just good for us to be reminded of how important justice is to God. All aspects. There's a great comment. Uh, in one of the commentaries I was reading. It says, wrath is not an abstract attribute of God, but it is a response to human evil intentionally causing human suffering. The truth of the matter is, is that God is a God of love whose wrath is a response to evil actions that continually distort and hurt the helpless. God's wrath is directed at those systems of rule that make victims of his children, not just Israel or Christians, but all his children. The reason why you see in the Old Testament this flip-flop between these evil empires um, being uh, subject to the wrath of God, but also Israel being subject to the wrath of God, is because for God, it's not just whether you're, you're mine or you're not, you're all mine. So for him, any rule, that makes victims of his children, whether you're a Christian or not, that is injustice. It's fascinating that we as Christians, some things we're really, really good at standing up for, but other things we're pretty hopeless at. I'm I'm saddened when I hear Christians using God's word to justify what goes on in the Ukraine. That's an injustice. Regardless, it's an injustice. One billion Christians should be standing up against that. And if we did, we'd most probably have quite an impact on this world. Coming from another minor prophet, Micah, He has this great passage, and we've all heard it, but I just want to give you the preamble before we get to that passage. It says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? How should I present myself to the Lord? What should I bring to Him? How should I present myself? Should I wear a suit? Should I comb my hair, have a shower, clean myself up, wear the best I can be, bring the best I can be? What am I supposed to do? How do I present myself? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What's the first thing He requires of you? It's powerful, isn't it? Justice is number one for God. You remember we talk about, I've done this before. Those of you who are new here, you might be, Yeah, I do the numbering thing, you know, one, two, three, how important God, you know, numbers things in three. And, And it's important to understand what comes first. Act justly. Justice is important to God. Why? Because it cost him his son for you to be who you are today. and to love mercy, and then to walk humbly with your God. Nahum is faced with a very difficult situation. He's lost his land. He's lost his heritage. And he sees this big empire who just doesn't seem to be able to stop in all the badness that they're about. There's nothing that seems to be able to stop these guys. In fact, during this time, they do the unthinkable. I shared this last week. They took over Egypt. They destroy Egypt. There's nothing that could stop these guys. But justice always prevails. It may cost, but it always prevails. You know the stories of our modern-day martyrs. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood against a wave that seemed so big there was no way to stop it, that all of Germany had turned to. And he was crushed by that wave, gave his life for it, against it. And yet we still talk about him today and the impact he has had. And what happened? God's justice prevailed. Our challenge for us Christians today is not to try and go back to Nahum and think, oh, you know, this is going to be applying to us today. Well, I don't think so. It's a different time. He was writing specifically to a, to a specific people. You can't pull that out of context and try to apply to us today. But some of the principles, you can. It's hard for us to understand, by the way, something that happened 3,000 years ago let alone something that happened 200 years ago let alone for some of us guys or young people who think what our parents were going through imagine a life with no mobile phones it was boring no it wasn't there was quite a lot of things going on i don't know what don't i can't remember but we seemed to manage without mobile phones right and we still managed to be in touch with people right For young people, it's impossible to think what life would have been without that. It would be boring without Netflix. It's hard for us to kind of imagine what life would have been like for them back then. So I don't want you to try and take that and apply it to us today. But I do want you to take some principles out of that. One thing, God is a God of justice. It's actually very important to him. So much so that he sent his son to die for us, to bear That burden. That's a big deal. And while we do have certain topics that we like to fight on, like to stand up for, abortion and and, and all these other things, there are a lot of things we choose not to. There are a lot of things that we seem to be very particular about. And that's a travesty. Because justice is justice. It's not selective. We need to stand up for those things as well. Right? So, I'm going to stop with Nahum today, and next week we're going to Haggai, who's so much easier and so much more encouraging, or sort of, but yeah, he is. But I cannot ignore these parts of Scripture. I'd love to because it'd make my life a lot easier. And sometimes you might have even heard me this morning fumbling around a bit, trying to make sense even myself of what, how am I getting this across to you all? It is difficult and we need to basically sit down and talk about it. I've done a study for these two weeks. Last week was easy because it was all history. You loved that, right? Wasn't that fun? Oh, he's given us the whole picture of what the world was like back then. But today it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's what's behind that. There's a study, I'll send the email out. If you haven't got, if you're not on our email list, let me know at the end of the service. Send me an email or or Lisa an email. And if you've got a study, just sit on your own or maybe with a group or with your life groups if you're starting to meet. Wrestle with these questions because they're there for a reason. They're there to challenge our everyday norm. They're there to kind of, Remind you. I was, I was over with Annette and Kenny Ku and we were talking about Rome and we were talking about these big old churches that are empty half the time apart from tourists. But you walk into them and you feel that, that big. Because these things are enormous. And, and, and their view of God was just, it wasn't a black room like this. These huge structures that they built and laying on their backs painting for who knows how long. To the glory of this God that's so big, makes you feel like you're that big. And sometimes when you read the Old Testament, you feel that big. But praise be to God, there is Jesus. Praise be to God, he bore our transgressions. Praise be to God that we have hope. And there's Nahum, in his way, trying to explain to Judah, look, there is hope. God is maybe slow to anger. And by the way, the reason why he's slow to anger, it's still his children, whether they're bad or not. If it's your kid that's bad, you'll do everything you can to deal with them, all right? You'll do everything you can. And there might come a point where you just have to do something permanent. I don't know. But for God, it's still his children, good or bad. He is slow to anger. And we have Jesus now. We have his hope. So it's okay to pull out the Jesus card every once in a while too. Amen? (laughs) For those of you who are visiting this morning, it's not normally like this. And everyone's laughing going, yeah, right. It's a challenge. It really is. And I pray that you embrace the challenge. I pray you embrace the challenge and you embrace a picnic afterwards. And we can have a great old time chatting about this and letting the kids run. I ask the music team to come up. Let's pray. Father God, sometimes I question why you've got a book like Nahum in our Bible. Uh, I, I question it, Lord, and I, and I read it and I kind of remind myself why, Father God, would you want this to be remembered for all time why why would we want to even see you in that light lord knowing jesus and knowing what he has done for us lord reading these things sometimes are confronting but it highlights even more so lord what jesus has done for us and we thank you jesus thank you for bearing all the injustices all the transgressions the wrath Bless us, Lord, as we try to work through this, as we kind of mull on these things, on these words. Holy Spirit, uh, open our hearts to hearing uh, your guidance on these. Things that just seem at times way too difficult. And thank you, Father. Thank you for your care and your love. Slow to anger. But oh, so good. Thank you, Lord.